a great, great friend of mine, Bert Babb, brought me back a, a little vial of dirt from Omaha one year. He went back and he said, Coach, you got to get yourself there some year. And I just said that was about 2002. And I said, Bert, I'm only going if I got my team. In 2002, Pat Casey had been at Oregon State for eight seasons, and none of his teams had even made the NCAA tournament. Three years later, in 2005, Oregon State not only made the tournament, but advanced to Omaha for the College World Series. And even though Oregon State was eliminated with two straight losses that year, the early exit was not the only storyline in Pat's mind. We got eliminated in two straight in 05. And, you know, I come in the locker room, the guys are hanging their head, and I'm saying, you guys, we just... This is crazy, you know, we just, we, you're in the College World Series, you know, monumental task to come here. So, you know, I tried to get them pumped up a little bit to realize that, you know, this is a, a huge step in what we're trying to do. And I was walking out of the stadium at Rosenblatt, had my jersey thrown over my shoulder, and I was the last guy out. The guy's pushing the kid up in a wheelchair. And I turned around and I said, see, that's why these guys got to appreciate what they're doing. And I took my uniform, I laid it on the kid's lap, and he had a Texas hat on. And his dad just looked at me and said, wow, thanks, coach. Two weeks later, I got an email, and his grandfather graduated from Oregon State. I said, I know we're going back now. You know what I mean? I did something good. So great things happen here. Oregon State may have been fighting an uphill battle trying to win a national championship coming out of the Pacific Northwest, but the Beavers did make it back the next season, making it to the championship series versus North Carolina in 06 and again in 07, beating the Tar Heels both times for back-to-back -back College World Series titles. Oregon State made a habit of reaching Omaha, booking return flights in 2013 and 2017, but both times falling short of the final series. In 2018, the Beavers again qualified for the College World Series with their hearts set on going the distance. Hi again, everybody. This is Dynasty in the Woods, the story of Beaver baseball. My name's Josh Warden. I'm a sports broadcaster covering Oregon State Athletics, and this is Episode 9, Off to Omaha. Hey, Pat, do you um, fall right back into your comfort zone uh, facing North Carolina? <laughs> what does that mean to you to go against Coach Fox with the history that you have? Coach, is, he's, he does a great job, and uh, they're very, very good, very, very talented, and uh, got a ton of respect for North Carolina baseball. We knew they were one of the best teams in the nation. I'd probably put them in the top four teams we played. Uh, they were just solid all the way around. We'll start reliving the 2018 College World Series, starting with game one in just a moment. What if baseball was more than just a game, more than entertainment? What if the next strikeout could feed a family of five for a whole year? The next home run could provide safe drinking water for an entire village. The next win could help lift an entire community out of poverty. What if we could use baseball to restore hope and save lives? Partnering with Major League Baseball, Food for the Hungry is helping impoverished communities through the Striking Out Poverty Campaign. You can join top-level baseball players who are helping with relief efforts in the Dominican Republic, not to mention Food for the Hungry's other amazing campaigns that are changing lives all over the globe. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider donating to Food for the Hungry at fh.org. That's fh.org. Beaver Baseball is on the air. Here's Mike Parker. Hi again, everybody, from TD Ameritrade Park in Omaha, Nebraska. This is Mike Parker welcoming you to Game 1 of the 2018 College World Series. I think everyone was truly on the same page of, like, we want to win a national championship. Every year, only one team, one team out of all of them, every single Division I baseball team other than one 
is separated from the one. That is the difference. The attitude wasn't, hey, we show up to the College World Series, and hey, we're showing up to win the College World Series. We need to take the game to them. You know, I think that what happens in a lot of cases when you get to big games, people get on their heels and try to find or feel their way through the first couple minutes of a game or the first couple innings. And, you know, we said, let's, let's, let's go through the gap, man. Let's get after it. Let's try to, you know, ambush them early. Let's try to play aggressive. Let's have some fun. Incidentally, the first play of the game in Omaha was just about the least predictable play Oregon State could have made. A ground ball to short, bobbled by Grenier, no play, and the Beavers uncharacteristically commit an error. Brooks Wallace award winner Caden Grenier with the ball getting on him quickly. I do remember that play, and, you know, it kind of told us that, you know, I, I think we weren't going to play very good defense. The best shortstop I've ever seen at Oregon State on the first pitch of the College World Series, Caden Grenier commits an error. Ground ball, Caden boots it, and there's runner on first with an error. We were like, uh, what just happened? <laughs> this is weird. Three pitches later, it got a little bit worse. The 1-1 pitch to Bush hits him, and it's a rough start for Luke Heimlich and the Beavers. But two batters and two outs later, the runners were still on first and second. Kicks and comes 2-2 two, two on the inside corner. Strike three call to retire the side. So maybe Pat Casey's desire for a good start to the game would come true after all. And in the bottom of the first, Stephen Kwan and Trevor Larnick made sure it would. Rocks, kicks, and delivers, and Kwani whacks it into left field. Base hit. The 2-1 off speed to Larnick, lifted to center and deep. Brandon Riley twisting and turning, going back to the track, to the fence, and the ball is off the middle of the fence. Kwan scores. Larnick on his way to third. The ball carries against the wind in Omaha. A triple for Larnick. The Beavers lead it one to nothing. The first triple of Trevor Larnick's career came his junior year in Omaha. North Carolina's ace pitcher Luca Delatri watched Adley Rutschman on four pitches and was laboring just two outs into the game. Delatri, who has dealt with elbow inflammation this year, he missed 12 weeks, will receive a visit from North Carolina's athletic trainer. Delatri is going to come out. That's too bad for Luca. Feel bad for the young man. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a moment for Luca where he understands his own body, I would assume, and understands that he's just not right. Bad news for North Carolina, but give credit to the Tar Heels. They did not unravel. Caden O'Brien came in to replace Delatri and got the final out of the first inning. And then the other star pitcher in the game, Luke Heimlich, the best pitcher in the nation, had his own troubles. The 3-2 fastball inside, ball four. And for the second straight inning, Luke Heimlich is dealing with first and second and nobody out. The 2-0 pitch grounded slowly to Gretler. Michael charges, a run will score. Gretler flips to first for the out. OSU went scoreless in the second inning to leave the score tied at 1-1. Then more trouble for the Beavers in the top of the third. Bush is hit by a 1-2 pitch, and here we go again in a very real sense for Luke Heimlich. Just can't get out of his own way early. Two on, nobody out, three consecutive innings. Head coach Pat Casey himself out to, to try to help Luke Heimlich deal with yet another difficult inning. Very un of Heimlich here early. The 2-1 pitch to Gehagen gets away from Adley Rutschman. Coming down the line to score, Cody Roberts. And the Beavers trail it 3-1. The pitch on the way, pulled back a third, a fair ball, glancing off the umpire to Grenier, no play, it's a base hit. 
The ball glancing off the umpire kept it near the infield and saved a run for OSU, but the third inning continued to give Oregon State fits when Luke Heimlich hit the next batter, his third hit batsman already. Heimlich about to make his 64th pitch and try to keep himself in the game, but he's not going to make it. That's going to be it for Luke Heimlich. Wow. The best pitcher in the country can't get out of the third inning. Luke's a phenomenal guy and a phenomenal pitcher, a very competitive guy, and I know to not be able to throw his best on, in his first game in Omaha probably kills him. Uh, I don't know. He just, he just couldn't command anything. He couldn't get it to go where he wanted. It's tough when you can't throw the ball across the plate. You don't expect to have that kind of inning against uh, a team like Oregon State, but we took advantage. Mike Fox and his North Carolina team bounced Heimlich in the third inning and still had the bases loaded when reliever Brandon Isert came in. A sack fly scored another run to make it 4-1 North Carolina. Now Isert trying to put a stop to a big inning. The runners go, the 3-2 pitch is banged into center field for a base hit. Gahagan scores and then Stephen Kwan overruns the ball. And right behind Gahagan is Martirano to score and North Carolina leads it 6-1. Oregon State carried a five-run deficit with only a third of the game completed. To their credit, the Beavers came right back the next half inning with Stephen Kwan and Caden Grenier recording singles to give Trevor Larnick a chance to do some damage. Larnick, a line drive to left. Back goes Ashton McGee, still going back. The ball will carry all the way to the fence, off the base of the fence. Kwan scores into third base, goes Madrigal, and Larnick into second. A triple and a double today for Trevor. It's now North Carolina six, and the Beavers two. Trevor Larnick led the Beavers in RBIs at this point in the season, in part because of that double, but hot on his heels in the RBI category was Adley Rutschman. Right now it's 6-2, to two and that's fringe contention. A base hit here turns that around, would make it legit, and he swings and gets a base hit into center field. Caden Grenier scores. Trevor Larnick on his way to the plate. He will score. And Adley Rutschman has retaken the RBI lead from Trevor. More important, he's gotten the Beavers right back in the game. A two-run single to center. North Carolina 6 and the Beavers 4. That was the last of the scoring that inning with eight runs scored between the two teams in the third inning alone. And after the dust settled, it was North Carolina holding a 6-4 lead. In the middle part of the game, though, for both teams, base hits became harder to come by. Isert delivers a check swing, strike three, two down. And Isert with back-to-back -back strikeouts. Ground ball wide of Caden Grenier, goes to his left, fields and shovels backhanded to Nick Madrigal for the out at second to retire the side. 6-4 North Carolina, bottom of the sixth inning, 1-1 one one to Caden, who swings and it's a line drive caught by Freeman, throws back to second for a double play, and the inning is over. Jim Wilson said he'd be listening all day long. He often says the next team that scores will win. It almost has that kind of feeling here today. Jim Wilson, the OSU Hall of Famer, is pretty good at making predictions, although Mike Parker adds a caveat this time. Now, if North Carolina ends up scoring, of course, we'll scrap that Jim Wilson doctrine. <laughs> I'm just saying that it has that kind of feel right now. It did look good for a while with Brandon Isert holding the Tar Heels scoreless in the 4th, 5th, and 6th innings, but the 7th was tougher. Ground ball to Gretler at 3rd, Michael plays it off his chest, stays with it, and then pulls Adley Rutschman off the bag. In the previous 16 games, OSU had committed 3 errors total. In this game alone, 3 errors for the Beavers. The 2-1 pitch, a line drive into center field for a base hit. 
Rounding third is Ike Freeman. He will score. Quan's throw to Gretler to third. And safe is called at third base. And Michael Gretler is immediately saying that play's got to be appealed. Replays showed that Gretler applied the tag just before Martirano slid into third base, and Martirano's hand came off the bag while Gretler's glove was still touching him, so he should have been out. Pat Casey is suggesting that that play be reviewed, but I'm not sure that comes under the rubric of a reviewable play, and it doesn't. One, I definitely think that that play should have been reviewed. Then I believe it would have been overturned. I'll have to watch it. You know, we had somebody come down and say that you know he was out. Pat Casey was informed right away the call was wrong, but he couldn't do anything about it because only certain types of calls can be reviewed, and this was not one of them. Barry Chambers missed the call. He was wrong on the call. If that runner scores, it's a shame in two ways. First of all, Martirano should not have been there in the first place, an error, and then that could have been erased with the out at third, which appeared to be the proper call. It's unfortunate for Brandon Eisert, who had pitched so well to this point and even induced Martirano into an out twice, yet Martirano still stood on third base, North Carolina up 7-4, to four, and Dylan Pierce entered for Oregon State. The Beavers trying to turn two and minimize damage, a line drive to center. Quan in a hurry, cannot make the catch. It's a base hit. Martirano, who should have been out, scores. North Carolina leads it 8-4. to four. On the base hit to center field for Kasperius, who has three RBIs out of the nine hole. He came in with 12 all season. Going to the bottom of the seventh, the Beavers showed promise of redeeming the mistakes when Trevor Larnick singled, Adley Rutschman added a ground rule double, and then Michael Gretler picked up the RBI on a ground out. Up next was Kyle Novak, who had been on a roll recently. Kyle's been hot, and, you know, we just try to keep Kyle in that bubble and don't talk to him and, you know, make sure he stays hot, right? The Beavers' leading RBI man can come up with another one. He gets a line drive to center, diving for it, making a play on a hop as Brandon Riley. It falls in for a base hit. Coming in to score is Adley Rutschman. It's now North Carolina 8 and the Beavers 6. So two runs across, and then Jack Anderson singled. Tyler Malone drew a nine-pitch walk, and Stephen Kwan stepped to the plate. Bases loaded in a two-run ball game. Kwan was three for three on the day. With the bases loaded, he did something he had only done 15 times all season. Criswell to the plate. Breaking ball taken. Strike three calls. The Beavers leave three. Kwan disputes the call by the home plate umpire, but to no avail. The frustration mounted in the eighth when the Beavers got the leadoff man aboard, but again made an uncharacteristic mistake. A throw down to first, and Grenier is called out on a back pick. Madrigal showing bunt. Grenier got too big of a lead and is thrown out at first in an unbelievable turn of events here. The Beavers went scoreless in that inning, and while Christian Chamberlain pitched well to keep the game close, the Beaver offense ran out of gas by the ninth inning. The 2-2 pitch, Anderson, a comebacker fielded by Chriswell, runs to the bag halfway, underhands to first for the out. And in a game that just got off to a terrible start for the Beavers, an error on the game's first pitch, Luke Heimlich chased in the third, and they go down to defeat in game one of the 2018 College World Series. The game lasted four hours and 24 minutes, the longest nine-inning game in College World Series history. Final score, Oregon State 6, North Carolina 8. The fact of the matter is we played baseball very, very poorly. We did not perform in the way that we can perform, and it cost us the ballgame.
Losing is not fun, and a game like today where you know you know you can play better is probably the biggest thing for us as players, knowing that we can compete at a higher level is probably the most disappointing thing for us. It's baseball. It happens. Definitely didn't want it to happen today, but it happened. We'll bounce back next time. You know, we were all frustrated and kind of borderline shocked, just like, wow, you know, what just happened? But we weren't worried about, oh, you know, we're only one loss away. That was never a thought for any of us. After we lost that opening round, I mean, if we lose any game, it's over. So we were against all odds. Oregon State would have to navigate the loser's bracket of this double elimination format, meaning the only option was to win four games in a row or an early return back to Oregon. Michael Gretler, the third baseman who went 0 for 5 with an error against North Carolina, remembers a feeling of exasperation after the loss. Definitely frustrated because, you know, we played like crap, way too many errors to win the game. We said we left guys on base. But there was some optimism from Tyler Graham, who was on Oregon State's coaching staff. Graham had played on the 2006 team that had also lost the first game in Omaha before winning six elimination games to capture the College World Series. After that game, Tyler Graham, he's like, do you guys realize that you played arguably your worst game of the year against one of the top teams in the country, and you guys were still like in that game? In 06, we were the only team to ever lose the first game and then come back and win it. And so I knew we had the same mentality. After our first game loss to North Carolina, we were a little down on ourselves, but we knew we still had a chance. We weren't done yet. And I remember Nick said something along the lines of, you know, we're not done. We're just going to have to take the harder road, you know, which is okay with us. Oregon State, you know, is known for doing that. When you were on that 06 squad and, and you lost the first game in Omaha, to lose a game and then come back, win four straight, put yourself in a position to win a national championship, what does that take for a team to do that? There's an aspect to just knowing how to win. This is Daniel Turpin, a pitcher on the 2016. Whether it's a tie game or you're down by six or seven runs late, there's always that chance that you can win this game. And some teams have that, and other teams you just know the game's over. Soon, it would become clear which of those descriptions fits the 2018 team. Game number two for Oregon State, facing elimination against another familiar opponent. Anytime you get to play someone from your area on the other side of the country, it's pretty cool. It is a battle of old familiar foes. For what it's worth, the Beavers have won the last five series head-to-head against Washington. It is nice to see teams come out here from the West Coast. I would have preferred to be playing somebody else or somebody in our conference, that's for sure. But it's, you know, that's the way the brackets are set up. And so, you know, I got a lot of respect for Washington's players, the way they play. I think they play hard. I think they're great kids. In the passage of time since the 2018 season, I've developed the thinking that the Washington game has kind of gotten lost in the excitement. And for me, the the Washington game was one of the more memorable Oh, it was awesome. I'm buddies with probably half that team. Jake Mulholland hails from Snohomish, Washington, 30 miles from downtown Seattle. So I wouldn't know him real well, played high school ball with some of those guys and stuff. So it was pretty fun getting to, you know, have some like friendly trash talk and stuff before the games and everything. It may have been friendly trash talk between Jake Mulholland and the Washington players, but for some others, there was some more substantial tension between these two programs that dates back to 2016. The 2016 team, how everything ended with them, you know, finishing so strong, missing out on the NCAA tournament in kind of controversial fashion, I think that provided so much motivation for the 2017 team. 
Bob Lunderberg, who's writing a book on the Oregon State baseball seasons of 2017 and 2018, recognizes the influence from the year prior to those College World Series seasons. In 2016, Oregon State finished tied for third in the Pac-12, yet missed out on the postseason. And a lot of people thought that with the way that the Beavers had closed that that season, the regular season, that they were going to be able to make it into the postseason really, you know, pretty comfortably just because finishing 16 and 14 in Pac-12 play, which was tied for third. I'm not really sure a lot of us even thought they were truly that on the bubble. But sure enough, they weren't selected for the NCAA tournament. They were one of the last four teams out. And just that result, I, I know it stung many people in the program because they felt they were worthy. But for whatever reason, the, the selection committee left them out. When it comes down to it, there's some games we could have won in 2016, but I don't think there's a team that would be second or third in the Pac-12 that wouldn't make the tournament. 2016, when we didn't go to a, a regional, that was really disappointing. I, mean, I had no idea why we didn't get in, but it doesn't matter. We didn't get in, and there's a reason for everything. Yeah, that was a real bummer, honestly, because we were playing really, really good baseball. I remember UCLA came into town. We shut them out for 27 straight innings. They hadn't scored a run. We were playing really, really good baseball. And then not to mention, we had a full-on selection party. That's got to be the worst nightmare for a team to set up a watch party. Everyone is there to celebrate and then realize the season is over. Kyle Novak was not happy about it full-on selection party, right? And we're sitting there watching these names get called off. And then, you know, sure enough that our name didn't get called. And that was, it wasn't awkward, but it, it didn't sit well. We all gathered up, watched the show, and we didn't get our name called. It was shocking. It was like, what just happened? The coaches were dismayed also, including Pat Bailey and Pat Casey. And I remember when we didn't get in, I was shocked. I was also honestly really mad. After we got done, I came back to the office and told Case, I'm heading out for I'm going to recruit. And then I made some phone calls that day. And I jumped on a plane the next day and went to Denver, Colorado for a week recruiting. And I think the fuel started in these guys' freshman year in 16 when we weren't, weren't in a tournament. And I sat there with those guys. And I said, there's only one way to respond to that, man. 2016 motivated us definitely in 2017. And that taste in our mouth is still there in 2018. That fueled 2017 for sure. It was kind of a blessing in disguise. We went from that to we're going to sweep everyone. You're going to have to play your best game against our worst game to even have a chance to beat us. I do think the motivation coming out of that 16 snub served the Beavers well in terms of the fire that it fueled. I definitely think looking back, that might have been our best thing to ever happen was not make that and realize like you can't take things lightly. We took that situation, we took it personal and brought it into 2017. And aside from the fact that we didn't win a national championship, we ended up uh, third in the country that year. We were 56 and six, which is the, I think the best record in college baseball since 1982. I mean, that's crazy to think that college baseball team didn't go 56 and six. We did a remote broadcast here locally on our show and Pat Casey made some mention of the tombstone line. This is John Warren, who announces on some of the radio broadcasts, John remembers talking with Pat Casey after the 2016 season when Pat referenced the 90s Western movie Tombstone and a particular quote delivered by Kurt Russell. It was some line in, in Tombstone along the lines of, well, so-and-so's coming after him and hell's coming with me. That was Oregon State's mentality after 2016. Hell was coming with them. But as great as a season as it was in 2017, the Beavers again finished the year feeling slighted. 
2017, the same thing happened. Is we got to Omaha, you know, and I think everybody felt the same thing that we were kind of snubbed, you know, it was terrible. Kyle Novak is referring to a different kind of snub than the 2016 example. Instead of missing the postseason, the 2017 drama had to do with missed calls from umpires, and we'll revisit those more later in the series. But here's the point. The Beavers were motivated by the 2016 snub, so they were better in 2017. But to get close to a national championship and then fall short made it hurt even more than the year prior, which meant that if 2016 invigorated Oregon State, how much more so would 2017? I think what it did is it just, again, lit another fire and then we came back and, and just built this culture that we were not going to be stopped. The 2018 team's determination to be unstoppable was tangibly related to 2017. In fact, Stephen Kwan carried around an article with him in his bag. He taped it up in the dugout in Omaha in 2018. This article was written about the 2017 squad, and it started out by saying, quote, they could have been the greatest team of all time. In fact, it was such a great team that in 2018, Oregon State knew they would not be able to match it. We talked to the staff and Case was great about it. He said, we're not going to finish 56 and 6 again. This is not going to happen. That's a season that I don't know if anybody will ever be able to do that again. That was unbelievable. The 56 and 6 year, that's the only year in my coaching career where every weekend we played great. I don't think we had one weekend that we didn't play well. I remember in 2018, we went to Utah for a weekend and lost two out of three against a team. I think only won like 12, 13 games that year and played horrible. That was a nightmare weekend. We were about as bad as it could get. And after that, again, I thought Pat did a great job of just talking to our guys instead of blowing them up and stuff like that. We just continued on with our journey and just kept playing better and better. In 2018, Oregon State knew it would not match 2017 in the number of wins, but they could do one thing the 17 squad did not accomplish, win the final game of the year in Omaha. But remember, this whole domino chain did not start in 2017. It was the postseason snub from 2016 that came first. And actually, we haven't even explored the full story of 2016. In reality, why didn't Oregon State make the tournament in 2016? Washington, we've had controversies with them before. I mean, I, I think you can use the word injustice. Oregon State in 2016 should have made the NCAA tournament the malevolent, prejudicial conduct of University of Washington coach Lindsey Meggs. I don't think it's any secret that there's not a lot of respect for the Washington baseball program because of what they did. In 2016, clearly should have been easily another year of regional action for Beaver baseball, but they didn't make it in, and there's all kinds of reasons. And many felt that it was uh, Lindsey Meggs, who was on the committee that's supposed to lobby for the conference. The NCAA uses regional advisory committees that help formulate the tournament bracket. Nobody can watch all the games around the country, so the regional advisors provide background on teams from their area. They even rank those teams from their region to provide recommendations to the National Selection Committee. On the West Regional Advisory Committee, there was one representative that year from the Pac-12, Lindsey Meggs, head coach at Washington. His program did make the 2016 NCAA tournament despite losing two out of three games to OSU that year and being 11 spots lower in the RPI rankings than Oregon State. The word is he didn't quite do the same kind of lobbying for Oregon State. They get left out, and the Beavers clearly should have been in. 
Lots of people are very, very upset. As the story goes, the ranking on the West Regional Advisory Committee, which uh, Lindsey Meggs was the chair of, had Oregon State a lot lower than maybe some other areas. And ultimately, that was the reason it was cited by the selection committee chair as to why Oregon State was not allowed into the NCAA tournament in 2016. The fans were quick to draw the conclusion that Lindsey Meggs had backstabbed Oregon State in a sinister effort to promote his own team at the expense of a fellow Northwest program. When he was on the advisory committee and he recommended against the inclusion of Oregon State in that field, which is just outrageous. That was the polar opposite of what people in that position are supposed to do customarily, which is to advocate for your fellow schools. But Megs, who is desperate to try to reach recruiting and on-field parity with Oregon State, and still hasn't reached it, by the way, lobbied against Oregon State. It was a grave injustice you know, if you're Lindsey Meggs coming in and trying to take over a program like Washington, I mean, Oregon State's the big brother in your neighborhood. You want That's the program you need to go after and try to take down. And I think the Huskies desperately tried to do that. And of course, that has fueled the Oregon State University of Washington rivalry ever since. Yeah, I think a lot of people didn't like that. And I think that there already was some bad blood between Oregon State and Washington before, just for a variety of reasons. I mean, you know, regional rivals, a lot of crossover between the kids from playing against each other in high school growing up and then also in college. Every single guy in our organization was, was hurt by that because you're taken away from the players at that point. You know, the players had earned it. I think it definitely lit a fire in, in the field for a lot of us. This group was just hosed by yeah. perhaps yeah. Lindsey Meggs. Yeah. <laughs> right. 35 and 19, 16 and 14 in the conference and not invited right. to the postseason. That was a travesty. It was a travesty. And so no to pay yeah. those folks back, they went 56 and 6. I've just never gone for coaches being on committees like that. Is there a more obvious conflict of interest than that? Dwight Jaynes of NBC Sports Northwest believes there has to be a better method of determining the postseason field. There's money at stake, too. These coaches all have bonuses for getting into postseason play, and you're going to put that coach on a committee deciding who gets in to postseason play? That makes no sense to me at all. So the team that got victimized in 2016 was Oregon State. Truth be told, that wasn't the first time that it happened. This story is reminiscent of what happened 22 years earlier, a story we briefly discussed in episode three of this documentary while talking about Oregon State's longtime coach, Jack Riley. Back in 1994, his final season at OSU, Oregon State had the best record in the conference, but Washington got the postseason bid. Do you see any parallels of what happened in 1994 to 2016 when Washington got in with Lindsey Meggs and the NCAA Advisory Committee and Oregon State didn't even get into a region? Same problem. We had a Lindsey Meggs at California, and he had some influence, but they picked Washington over us because of the, the Lindsey Meggs. It happens to be that it's two Washington people that screwed Oregon State. And so, yeah, that's the same thing that happened to us. There's another parallel between these two seasons. Remember that in 2016, Oregon State had a selection show party to celebrate the NCAA tournament bracket that the team thought would include them. That party was actually history repeating itself from 1994. I remember being in the room with a bunch of the baseball players at one of the houses when they got together for the selection show and just the shock of being left out. Two selection shows 
22 years apart, both times it's Oregon State baseball players gathering to celebrate only to realize they had been left out while the University of Washington got in. Naturally, it only added fuel to the rivalry. They thought like our fans were terrible and they just hated us and we hate them. And I feel like that was honestly a bigger rivalry than probably Oregon at that point. There's definitely a uh, bullseye on the back of Washington those next two years. It was only sweeter that it was in Omaha that we got to find them again in an elimination game. So I was like, all right, we better do it now or we'll, we'll have nothing else to say anymore. Now Oregon State had the opportunity to make amends for both of the last two years. The Beavers felt snubbed by Washington in 2016 and snubbed in the LSU games in 2017. Oregon State had already knocked off LSU and now the Beavers could gain a clean sweep in the vindication column. And it was pretty much the same team in 2017, so none of that got overlooked when those games got drawn. That particular game, there was no doubt in my mind that we were ready to take care of business against the University of Washington. They were zeroed in on, on, on my calendar pretty good. No score to the bottom of the second inning at TD Ameritrade in Omaha. It was a really hot day, super sweaty, and I already sweat a ton, and I really didn't have a great grasp on like what being hydrated was. Center fielder Stephen Kwan was baking in the 90-degree heat, watching both pitchers, Bryce Femmel for Oregon State, Jordan Jones for Washington, notch scoreless frames in the first and second innings, but one measly play in the second inning changed things drastically for Kwan. Bryce Femmel to the plate, the runner goes, Rutschman's throw goes into center field. Stephen Kwan backs it up, it is a stolen base for Graffinino. There was an overthrow to second, and I'm backing up second base to go get the ball, and you know, backing up a base, you're not really thinking about your running mechanics. You're just thinking about get the ball and, you know, don't get him to third. And then that's when I kind of tweaked it. Steven had just felt a nightmare, a twinge in his hamstring. He had done the same thing earlier in his career, so he knew the feeling. I was kind of just shocked, like, there's no way I just pulled it now in, like, the biggest stage of my life. Quan finished out the inning on defense, but he knew he would be up to bat soon, and he was already unsure if he could continue. I tell Case, I'm like, hey, Case, like, get Preston ready. Like, I, I don't know if uh, I'm going to be able to, to run out of the box in this one. And he goes, okay, well, we'll see. Just get in there and, like, just try your best. None of the 17,000 fans at TD Ameritrade Park or any of the Washington Husky players had any idea that Stephen Kwan came up to the plate while being somewhat seriously injured. The 1-1 pitch to Kwan hit sharply to Jordan. He feeds Graffinino on to first double play. Hit a ball to shortstop. I'm like, oh crap! Double play ball. Got to get out of the box. And I pushed real hard out of the out of the box. And then my leg was just like, yeah, no shot. And I had nothing behind it. And I just like kind of jogged at first. And that's when a lot of people thought I pulled it. But I had pulled it the inning before on the backup. Normally one of the quickest guys on the team, Quan was so slow out of the box he was still about six strides away from first base when the double play was completed. So the Beavers remained scoreless through the third inning, and Oregon State's leadoff hitter and first-team all-conference outfielder was hurting. There's actually a test that I always do where it's like, you know how like when you get home, you slip your shoes off with your back foot, you kind of get it out? That's my test to see how bad the hammy is. And I tried slipping my cleat off, and my hamstring just did not allow that. So I was like, okay, this is pretty bad. And I knew it was pretty bleak for my hamstring for that game at least. Oregon State had played 11 innings to this point in the College World Series, and they had lost a game, committed three errors, and had their star center fielder get hurt. And then it got worse. The Beavers committing their fourth error in Omaha. Hope that Quan's okay, but he's no longer in the game. Preston Jones now in center. 
Preston Jones, replacing Kwani, almost immediately had two singles laced right to him, the second of which he misplayed, allowing the lead runner to advance to third base and giving Oregon State its fourth error in Omaha. In just 12 innings of the College World Series, the Beavers had committed more errors than they had the previous 16 games. The Huskies would end up scoring three runs in the inning. They are just not playing the quality of baseball that we've grown accustomed to, that they are certainly capable of rising to. They're behind again in need to win or their season comes to an end. They're behind 3 nothing. It was shortly after this, in the fourth inning, when concerns about the weather started cropping up, although the conditions seemed plenty fine. And the Huskies, the last thing they want to see now, leading 3 to nothing, and Jordan Jones cruising, would be any sort of delay. <laughs> The game plugged along into the top of the fifth inning when Jordan Jones retired Adley Rutschman and Michael Gretler to make 12 outs in a row, with Kyle Novak potentially representing a Baker's dozen. Novak swings and drives one to right center field. Braden Ward will play this one on a hop. Kyle Novak trying to lead the way. With two outs and the bases empty, Novak did lead the way for Jack Anderson, who followed suit with another single. Washington swapped pitchers to right-hander Josh Bergman. Oregon State countered with a left-handed pinch hitter, Tyler Malone, who had not played in the last four games. With two on and two out faces the pinch hitter, Tyler Malone, and the first pitch to Tyler, lined to center field, base hit. Kyle Novak rounding third on his way to the plate and will score. Tyler Malone comes in, first pitch swinging a base hit to center. The Beavers are on the board. Now Washington three and the Beavers one. That's the first pitch Tyler Malone had seen since the regional, and his RBI extended this two-out rally to the top of the order and Preston Jones. Jones now playing center field for the Rock, Stephen Kwan, who has played virtually every inning of this 2018 season, started every game in the leadoff spot in center. Now it's Jonesy's turn, two on and two out, three to one Washington. Jones, a line drive to right field. Christian Jones misjudges it. The ball carries over his head. Jack Anderson scores on his way to the plate is Tyler Malone. Malone will score into third base goes Jones, a triple. All three RBIs in the inning were recorded by players who didn't start the game. Even better, Preston Jones scored moments later on a pass ball to give Oregon State a 4-3 lead. Then Caden Grenier singled and Washington's pitcher Josh Bergman was pulled from the game without having recorded a single out and watching four Beavers cross the plate. That's going to do it for Josh Bergman. And did the Huskies go to the pen too early? Jordan Jones was cruising along, gave up a two-out single to Novak, and they decided to get Jones out of the game early. Josh Bergman comes in and is roughed up by the Beavs. New pitcher Stevie Emanuels finally got that elusive third out, but OSU had its first lead of the College World Series other than the opening moments of Game 1. But Oregon State had not maintained that lead over North Carolina very long, and the lead over Washington proved difficult to maintain as well. He has to pitch well. If he could get us to the seventh inning, I'd feel pretty good about things. Pat Casey wanted a lengthy start from Bryce Femmel, who had given up three runs so far, and the fifth inning started poorly with a single. Kevin Abel is loosening up in the Beavers' bullpen, and here comes Nate Yeski, and I think that may do it for Bryce Femmel. After Luke Heimlich was pulled last game in the third inning, this time Bryce Femmel went just four innings. Two games in a row, the starting pitching for Oregon State was not the dominant force it normally was. 
Kevin Abel had not pitched in 15 days. He didn't even see the field at all in the Super Regional, but he entered in this College World Series elimination game, and his first pitch in Omaha was memorable. Ward shows bunt. The fastball is high and off the mitt of Adley Rutschman to the backstop, knocking the mitt, in fact, completely off the hand of Adley. An inauspicious start, to be sure, for Kevin Abel. The tying run advanced to second base. A sack bunt and a walk put runners on the corners with one out and Washington's big slugger at the plate. Joe Wainhouse, a guy certainly capable on one swing of turning it around. 19 homers on the year for Wainhouse. Kevin Abel from the stretch. The right-hander's 0-1 pitch taps slowly back towards Abel. Kevin looks at the plate, throws to the plate. The ball dropped by Adley Rutschman and safely in is Cirillo. Abel probably should have taken the out at first. He turned and threw home and threw low. The ball game tied at four, but more important, everybody is safe. The Beavers could have gotten a second out on the play, and Kevin Abel a little out of sorts defensively as the Beavers have been throughout Omaha. That tied the game with only one out in the fifth inning. Levi Jordan, the batter, has flied to center, single to center, and grounds one by the diving Michael Gretler into left field for a base hit. Kale rounds third and will score, and the Huskies will come right back to take the lead. And all the momentum generated by the Beavs gone in a flash. Kevin did throw water on the fire by starting a 1-6-3 double play to end the inning, but Oregon State headed to the top of the sixth, trailing by a run. And as the Beavers always seem to do after losing momentum, they did not take long to make a push right back. Rutschman walked, Gretler singled, and Jack Anderson approached the batter's box with two outs. Stevie Emanuel's kicks, delivers high to load him up for Tyler Malone. An excellent plate appearance again for veteran Jack Anderson. Now Tyler Malone greeted Josh Bergman, lacing a single to center field as a pinch hitter last inning to get the Beavers on the scoreboard. And I think the players are going to be called off the field. There was apparently within the radius of where we sit, even though it looks like a nice, pleasant day for baseball where we are, the Huskies, <laughs> in a sense, they get a break to change things up because we will have a delay, a weather delay and what appears to be. And even as I look at the monitor, one part of the sky is bright and blue, another a little ominous. <laughs> Everything came to a halt right as Tyler Malone stepped up for one of the biggest at-bats of his career. Bases loaded two outs, down by a run, sixth inning of an elimination game in the College World Series. To find out what happened next, come back next week for episode 10, where we discuss the rest of this game, plus what happened behind the scenes during the delay. You can listen to that episode and all the remaining ones right now by becoming a premium member. There's a link in the show notes to find out how. My name's Josh Horton. Thanks for listening, and feel free to give me feedback using the email in the episode description. Radio broadcast provided by Learfield IMG College. Thanks again for joining me on Dynasty in the Woods. Let's talk again next week.